We all want open source drivers for our graphics cards, but we don't often talk about the downsides that come with that. And some analysis was done, and it looks like the AMD open source GPU kernel driver is adding more than 5 million new lines of code. In fact, uh, it now brings the total to 34.8 million lines of code of the Linux kernel, making up a measurable percentage of the entire Linux kernel. And I know, Wes, one of your favorite things in the whole world is to measure the value of something by the number of lines of code. Why, that's that's the only way to value it. No, no, of course, that's a, you know, that's a hard metric, especially here. Um, a lot of this is going to be auto-generated header files, especially for these AMD drivers. But still, you know, more more code, more complexity, more mm-hmm. to audit, more to look at, more to just deal with, compile, ship around. Probably should add some context that the um, Nouveau driver is like 201,000 lines of code. The Intel i915 driver is 381,000 lines of code, at least in these like approximate metrics. That's literally millions of lines smaller. That is interesting. Yeah. Although it's not so much the case with the NVIDIA proprietary driver, is it? Yeah. There's also the aspect here that... Uh, We get to see all the dirty works now. Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. Hello there, gentlemen. Well, the Linux kernel team has moved to CodeBlock, the proprietary NVIDIA driver. We'll dig in the debate. I don't know. Our take might surprise you. And then, is Ubuntu our best hope for the future of desktop Linux with everything going on with Red Hat and SUS, and some of which you might not have heard of yet? Well, you've been asking us, so we'll dig into Canonical's future desktop plans and, of course, discuss. Then we'll round it out with some great boosts, some picks, and a lot more. So let's say good morning to our friends over at Tailscale. Tailscale.com slash Linux Unplugged. It's a mesh VPN protected by Wirecard. Creates connections between all your machines using WireGuard's noise protocol. WireGuard. It's so great. I have no inbound ports anymore for all my self-hosted infrastructure. We love it. It'll change your networking game, and you can get started in minutes. Just go to tailscale.com slash Linux Unplugged and try it for free for 100 devices. And, of course, time-appropriate greetings to our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Hello. 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 Hello, Hello, everyone. Nice job on uh, the coordinating of the outfits. We should have thought of that. I hate it when they look better than us, but that's most weeks. That's because they showed up for the production meeting, and we didn't. That's what we get. Brent, you're still here. You're not in Berlin yet, but of course, that's coming up soon. So Brent will be traveling soon on the show. And of course, the meetup's coming up. Details at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Yeah, meetup is coming up this coming week. So as this gets published this Friday. So if you're in Berlin or close-ish... We'd love to see you September 8th, 6 p.m. And uh, details at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. You've got some miles to travel. Uh, better get walking, huh? Are you stacking like frequent flyer points or something? Like, do you just have like a baller bag of points at this? Because why aren't you flying out here for free? You ought to be here every Sunday just using your points. I don't understand. You know, I got much advice from our dear friend Alex and uh, haven't integrated any of it. So I'm missing out on many, many opportunities. If anybody has some suggestions, son, son. I need a personal assistant or something. I don't know. I'm doing it all wrong. Gaming that system is one of the perks to traveling for work. It's a high personal cost, but you get points. I want to give a shout out to Ohio Linux Fest or OLF. That's also going to be on the week that we're publishing. I think it's uh, the 9th through the 10th. OLF has details on their website, which we'll put a link in the show notes. And uh, it looks like a killer lineup. 
I've been really focused on Linux Fest, so I, I didn't give them a, uh, I hadn't been paying a lot of attention, but I want to give them a mention because it just looks like they've put together a great fest. So you'll have deets. If you want to make it, you can still have, if you're listening while this publishes, you still have time. It'll be this weekend coming up. All right, guys, let's talk about this change that's sort of been slow cooking in the Linux kernel for a while. There's been other steps that have led to this moment, but the real big action will be happening in the future in Linux 6.6. And uh, Lewis Chamberlain has sent out some module changes for the upcoming merge window. And the most notable changes in here is it builds up what is being described as a, quote, defense against NVIDIA's proprietary kernel driver from using GPL-only symbols. Or in other words, bits that only true open source drivers should be utilizing and not proprietary kernel drivers like NVIDIA's default Linux driver and respecting the original kernel code author's intent. Wes, you remember when we talked about that taint proprietary module stuff? We talked about this a little bit back in 2020 when it seemed like this was a, a move to essentially create a DRM scheme in the Linux kernel that blocks proprietary drivers from getting to some of the bits that they really shouldn't be getting to. And legally, I think the kernel team is on the right footing here. And the whole idea about the G GPL is kind of using the copyright system in sort of a judo move to protect free software. And so now they're kind of implementing a technical solution to sort of enforce that licensing. But we did get some more insights from, was it Christopher Hillwig? Yeah, the, uh, it was merged by Chamberlain, but uh, Christopher Hellwig was actually the author of these changes Okay, um, and wrote that, quote, it has recently come to my attention that NVIDIA is circumventing the protection added in, and then it links to a previous commit, which is that uh, taint proprietary module stuff from 2020, and goes on, by importing exports from their proprietary modules into an allegedly GPL licensed module and then re-exporting them. Given that symbol get, which is a function in the kernel, was only ever intended for tightly cooperating modules using very internal symbols, it's logical to restrict it to being used on export symbol GPL and prevent NVIDIA from costly DMCA circumvention of access controls lawsuits. All symbols except for four used through symbol get were already exported as export symbol GPL, and the remaining four ones were switched over in these preparatory patches. Right. Back in 2020, the original defense was added. Uh, NVIDIA recommended avoiding Linux 5.9 uh, for the time being. But then they ended up having a supported driver several weeks later. It will be interesting to see this time how long Linux 6.6 thwarts their kernel driver. Yeah, either NVIDIA has to come up with a workaround or, you know, they just have to go all in on the open source solution inevitably. But in the meantime, it's using a couple of things that are gross to me that the Linux kernel team is doing. And I, while I appreciate the situation and how they kind of have to just move this forward to get NVIDIA to comply and others, this affects other proprietary module creators as well, not just NVIDIA. I don't like the tools they're using here. They're essentially using technology to create kind of a quote equivalent, a GPL equivalent of a DRM, of GPL DRM. And they're using the DMCA as their legal justification to do it. And I think the DMCA is gross and I think DRM is gross. And I also have an issue with blocking the functionality of probably one of the most critical hardware partners in the Linux ecosystem right now. 
I mean, that the rate NVIDIA GPUs are selling, they're not going into Windows boxes that are doing AI stuff. They're going into Linux boxes that are doing AI stuff. Or when somebody buys a $1,000 NVIDIA card for their workstation that they want to run Linux on, uh, this stuff just makes it less performant, harder. There's additional workarounds which are buggy. They'll have flaws. It'll need time to be worked out. And so I'm kind of grossed out about it from a user standpoint, too. And I, I have heard this emailed into Coder Radio many times, and a Pharonics reader echoed this, and I want to get your guys' take on this. The Pharonics reader said, quote, this sort of hostility makes me want to avoid Linux. This also affects other open source projects like ZFS constantly. This hostility is unnecessary. Wes, do you think it's hostility? Oh, I don't know. I'm kind of of two minds. I, you know, the sort of argument is that, you know, not all modules necessarily are like a derived work of the kernel. Not all proprietary modules are, you know, necessarily then like infringing or doing something bad. But if you are integrating so tightly that you're accessing a bunch of these kernel specifics, at some point in theory, you cross a line to kind of being like quote unquote derived work. Like you are relying so much on the kernel itself to do your thing that can you really argue you're a separate piece of software from it? Unfortunately, you know, uh, the developers sort of making the decisions around what symbols get qualified as export uh, symbol GPL only. They don't necessarily carry out a detailed legal analysis of or, or you know, technical analysis to sort out uh, whether that that is the case. Are they qualified to do that? Often these symbols then just sort of get marked GPL only as a way of then playing into these schemes and making stuff harder for proprietary modules. It also comes at an unfortunate time when we have seen this new open source work from NVIDIA. It's sort of like, is this necessary right now when they are maybe now just making some strides? I can see the argument the other way, though. You might say, like, this is the kind of stuff, the pressure that's maybe pushed NVIDIA to actually get off their butts and finally make some progress on that side. And you look at some of the workarounds they have to do, and some of those do feel a little, even if you don't agree with the, you know, how it happened on the kernel side, sort of the GPL condom approach, making these intermediary modules. It's not like that feels super clean either. The most mid-level take I think I've seen online is that this is Linus who's just personally angry at NVIDIA. I mean, after all, I gave him the finger. And so he's been encouraging this to happen to get back at NVIDIA. I think that is such a... Such an off-base take, I, I, I think it's silly. But, Brent, I want to ask you this, and I want to also ask the boosters to boost in their thoughts on this question. What the hell do I know? Should I just shut up and listen to the kernel dev team? Because they clearly have been great stewards of the Linux kernel. And maybe it causes a little indigestion for users in the short term, but should we just, as users, should we just let these types of things wash over us and see how it plays out? It feels like a tricky question because, yeah, of course, we should trust them. They're doing amazing work for the most part. And with little issues, you know, these kind of things come up, what, once, twice, maybe three times a year at most. But on the other hand, I think it's important for us to keep questioning the team and to make sure that they're doing the things that feels right and in the spirit and legality of what we believe they should be doing and according to, you know, their missions and such. So... I kind of go both ways, but a question I also have is, you know, is this kind of battle just going to continue? You know, it gets solved here maybe, and in a few months we see another kind of rendition of this happening over and over again, because that could get old pretty fast. 
linode.com slash unplugged. Go there right now to get $100 in 60-day credit, support the show, and kick the tires for real. You can really try things out with that $100. And while you're there, dig into the exciting news. Linode is now part of Akamai, but all the tools that we love, all the things that we use to scale in the cloud, that's still available, but now it's combined with Akamai's power and global reach, unmatched by any other. And they're expanding their services to offer more resources and tools while still giving us that super reliable service, very affordable, and all those scalable solutions that individual projects and people need and businesses of all sizes, some of the biggest businesses in the world. And as part of Akamai's global network of offerings, they're expanding their data centers. And they just announced, I think yesterday, I mean, it's really, really brand new. They just spun up a Sweden data center. And you can deploy now in their Stockholm data center. And they're continuing to invest big all around the world, spinning up new data centers. But this is fantastic, too, just for a business like mine, where we want to maybe have a seed for our live stream or for our download seeding in that region. Now I have a a resource there. And with Linode's pricing, it's just fantastic. And Akamai's reach, well, the network is larger and faster than ever. So they are expanding worldwide. So check out their website for more information because they may have one coming near you as well to give you access to more resources and grow your business or maybe your project, whatever it might be. So why wait? Go experience the power of Linode now, Akamai. Go to linode.com slash unplugged. Go over there to see why we use it for all of our projects and learn how Linode, now Akamai, can help you scale your applications from the cloud to the edge for yourself or your business. Go to linode.com slash unplugged. Get that $100 and support the show. You'll see with that $100 why we really like it. That's what I think is so great. That's their vote of confidence, and I think you should check it out today. Linode.com slash unplugged. The Ubuntu desktop seems to really be trying to chart a new course. The team at Canonical is trying to make it clear that they are focusing and investing on the desktop, and they have begun releasing a series of blogs that document the road to the future. And Oliver Smith at Canonical, who serves as the product manager for Ubuntu Desktop, has published a couple of these now, talking about 2310 and then also hinting a little bit at 2404 next year, the LTS release. And in there, he teases a few things that they're focusing on for the Ubuntu Desktop, uh, along like with things such as hardware partnerships with Intel to provide hardware accelerated video for Chrome in the Snap now as well as some highly experimental implementations of hardware-backed full disk encryption as an option in the Ubuntu installer that we could be seeing in the upcoming 2310. And he dropped some numbers on us, boys. The Ubuntu desktop has more than 6 million active desktop users. That's just desktop. That's huge. That's huge. And they believe that the values of the Ubuntu desktop, from their point of view, which probably matters, it's choice, quality, support, enjoyment, performance, privacy, by design, secure by default, seamless integration, and looking towards the future. So uh, here we are in a crazy year where you look back at Canonical over the last two years, things are looking pretty good. They're just staying the course. They're pushing in again on the desktop. They're building out this Ubuntu core desktop, which we took a look at not too long ago and, uh, Seems like it has some potential. It could be an implementation of snaps where it actually seems like it all coalesces. Maybe we'll see. But it's also canonical focusing and staying the course amidst chaos with Seuss and Red Hat. To recap, ownership structures have changed at Seuss yet again. 
They've announced they're creating a RHEL clone that will eat at their own SUS user base, but also adopts the language of their competitor and essentially admits that Red Hat Enterprise Linux is the Enterprise Linux. In their own way, they talk about the world. They concede defeat to Red Hat. And then they're going to build out a product that will be incompatible with their core product, which inevitably will lead to a hollowing out of SUS engineers. My thought. Seems like an act of desperation or some sort of weird cold capitalism to me. Either way, I don't like it. Additionally, seems there is work underway to put Leap out to pasture. The long-term release version of OpenSUSE seems a lot of changes coming there. 61 people are contributing to the code base, and that's been fading, it sounds like. They took a survey, and the community is somewhat interested in replacing it, but seems actually, from my read, rather met. In fact, God bless him, it seems like the entire thing is being propped up by Richard Brown. I mean, that's from what I can tell from the outside. That's Seuss. Then you got Red Hat. They've recently refocused open source desktop developers onto other projects, abandoning those open source projects. We know about the rail source code changes and the ripple effects and strong divisions that's created. The future with Red Hat and Fedora, it, it, it feels a little unknown. It doesn't feel like it's in danger. It just feels like it's entirely not sure. And yet it's steady as it goes for Ubuntu. Yeah, they're sticking to their guns with snaps. But maybe they got something with Ubuntu Core. Their leadership has been consistent and has been steady. The company has been on a consistent course after their big significant layoffs before their switch to Genome. And they're spending money on the desktop again and Linux gaming. And they're also trying to tell us about it, which is Signal in itself. It seems like a kind of far cry from, I don't know, the, the last era we were in for a bunch of, you know, we'd had the time when they were trying stuff on mobile. They were, you know, Mer was the like hot thing. They were, you know, Unity was out there. And then refocusing felt like maybe Ubuntu's future was kind of, you know, there was the desktop, of course, but the server, the containers, you know, that that ecosystem was where the focus is. But you're Enterprise right. Enterprise business. Mm, yes, exactly. But yeah. In comparison to some of their peers, in comparisons to just other efforts and the amount that they're telling us about it, it feels like a little bit of a new energy, or at least a, a, a more public recognition of that energy. And in Brent, Brent, in a way, aren't they just sort of winning by default just by not screwing up right now? Like, they just have to not screw up. Yeah, they didn't do any, like, really hot take on any of the recent news, and I think that was probably wise. You know, they're just continuing to do their thing in their own lane and not uh, not getting tangled up with any of the, the fires on either side. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I have quite the same or as pessimistic a look on the, on the Seuss stuff, but one of the things we talk about a lot with Red Hat is just the amount in the background that we don't appreciate that they influence and add to and, and, and build up the... To be clear, that's still happening. Yes. Still yes, lots definitely. of that happening, yeah. Um, and I think Ubuntu has been able to do some of that as well. You know, there's definitely components of the desktop, especially now that they're uh, helping out with GNOME. And, you know, Seuss feels like maybe it's off in its own world more. So there there are a lot of good works. Like you've seen like the Snapper stuff, all kinds of neat integrations we talk about when we, you know, play around in that ecosystem. But it doesn't feel like in the same way those uh, additions, improvements, features make it back to like the wider Linux ecosystem in a way like Canonical yeah. has uh, more influence. Yeah. Yeah, like some of the improvements upstream to Genome Desktop that have been shipping in Ubuntu for a while. Now, it, I actually just recently did a little refresh, and there's a lot of legitimate reasons why the patches haven't made it upstream to upstream Genome, and they are working on it. But 
Canonical has been able to, you know, handle some of those edge cases and ship that stuff and provide a faster performant genome desktop. Uh, and they're doing that now, and they're, that's, that's engineering work they've invested into that. That's results that their end users are getting are getting to see. And I think the other the other way they win by default, Canonical wins by default with their release model. I think that is a totally a totally unique thing in the world now, where you have the Rel clones and and the SUSE stuff that has just completely fallen apart. You know, it it I, I was reading a user thread and everyone is so confused as to what they should deploy on their servers now, if they want to be in the SUSE system or if they want to be in the RHEL ecosystem. And with Ubuntu, nothing's changed, right? You just you just download the LTS. If you want the support, you pay for it. You if get, anything, you've got more access to support. You've got longer supported timelines. Um, yeah, right. It's kind of a great it's a great time to be an Ubuntu server deployer. Yeah. They just don't have to change a thing. They're already the simpler release model. Yeah, reading a little bit about how, you know, OpenSUSE Leap, the community seems to want to change it, or at least the developer community does. It changed completely my idea of what Leap was. I always thought it was the, like the thing, you know, the canonical model that everyone went to by default. And that tumbleweed was sort of, you know, more experimental. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm really questioning like what Leap is to people or are a bunch of folks going to, you know, suffer if it changes dramatically and that that model for OpenSUSE goes away that, I don't know, that seems wild to me. I'm still wrapping my head around that. I would like insight from our lizard listeners out there. If they think the, the, the decline of leap is maybe at the cost of the success of tumbleweed, perhaps Sousa just assumed there was demand for both, but really there's just a lot of demand for tumbleweed. And maybe that's why they don't see the active contribution over at Leap. I don't know. I'm not connected enough to the SUSE community, but I'm sure some folks listening could probably share some insights on that. I think it's just sort of fascinating as the show has become so enamored with NixOS and that development area. But to take a second to step away from that, which is such an exciting area, and look at the architecture of what gets the Linux desktop built. And these individual companies and their levels of contribution come and go over the years. And we just as we kind of get used to, like, it's always been this way, things end up changing. But what does remain consistent are those individual contributors, some of whom you hear from on the show on a pretty regular basis, who are still passionate about that thing, that stick with the community as the corporate ownership structure changes, as the funding structure changes, as the demand for the project changes. They stick with their passion and they continue to build it. And it's just... It's such an awesome, unique thing that we have in the free software community that you don't have in the commercial space. You know, a little bit before the show started on the um, the live stream, we were talking a bit about the Steam Deck and Linux gaming success and kind of touched on the, you know, the productization and, and what that meant for the success of the Steam Deck. And it feels like maybe Ubuntu's playing and Canonical is playing an important role here, something we had previously seen kind of in the Fedora side and then on the Red Hat side of their own products, but you know, maybe we're concerned that if Red Hat's a little less focused on Linux desktop, you need a product sometimes in these companies to really justify adding engineers to solve these problems. Like we might know about a bunch of problems on Linux desktop as day-to-day users we'd like to see, but that's not going to motivate anyone to spend their time, or at least, you know, not very many people. But if you're saying, well, we have this partnership, we are shipping this product, it needs to work well, it needs to hit these measures, and that means we need to improve Pipewire, you know, or fix this X problem on the Linux desktop. That's how a lot of this stuff actually gets done. And you kind of need folks shipping products or at least thinking about it as a holistic thing. We were talking about it on the live stream before we sat down to record. And it was look at 
the explosive growth in the Steam numbers for Linux. And it's really all thanks to the deck. The deck is doing terrific as a product. And you can see it in the numbers because now when you look at Linux, something like 72% of Linux users are using the AMD GPU and graphics card that's in the deck because they're using the deck. And it it's using technology for the most part that all three of us and everybody listening has probably had on their Linux desktop for years. Mm-hmm. And it didn't explode then. And now it's blowing up. And it's because they productize it and they what you're saying is exactly true, Wes. They they hired some key smart developers to close those final gaps so they could actually make it a supportable product. And, you know, Valve came this time. We've had Red Hat here for a long time. These things are a little cyclical, but in their own pursuit of their own interests, they help us close these gaps. And when they kind of move on and they refocus, those contributions don't go away and they continue to be supported. Collide.com slash unplugged. If you're in IT or security, take a listen to this, especially if you work with Okta. We've all noticed this problem. Really, the most common vulnerabilities or hacks, if you'll call them, they really come from generally employees, either credentials or devices. Maybe they got fished. Maybe they got some bogus software they downloaded from the Internet. I mean, I can't tell you how many systems I had to clean up when I was in IT. And it almost, I mean, 100% of the time, actually, was a mistake. I never really had an experience where they even really realized what they had done. It's not their fault. The preventive measures have always sucked, especially on the Windows platform. And that's where Collide makes a difference. They're a solution to this problem. If you're working with Okta, Collide ensures that only secure devices can access your apps. So before they can even connect, they've been checked by Collide. You can say goodbye to compromised credentials. doesn't matter because they're going to get checked. And if those credentials have been fished, they're not going to be allowed to log in. And Collide manages a whole range of operating systems, including desktop Linux, all from a single dashboard. And the best thing, I think, is that there's a really slick system to help employees resolve their issues in a clearly communicated way so they don't even have to burden IT. It really works. You can go experience the solution. They got a great demo over at collide.com slash unplugged. It's a great way to support the show, too, is go check that out, see what they can do, see if you can integrate that into your workflow, maybe free up some of IT and security's time. So go to collide.com slash unplugged. I want to talk about something that's so fun that is really blowing up right now. It's a new genre of podcasting, and it is really thrilling because you guys know I I have just I have sucked at finding new music over the last few years, really. And since I switched to streaming, like my ability to curate and find music has just fallen apart. It's nothing but Backstreet Boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that and Hanson. Um, but there is a genre of new podcasts coming out that are music podcasts. And they're using value for value and the sat splits to send the sats to the artists while the tracks are playing. So the podcaster can do their style. And I've, I'll link to a couple of different styles in here. Uh, the one that I was listening to this morning while I prepped the show is DJ V for V. And it's an all music podcast. So there's no talk. He just finds the tracks. He plays them. And then while the tracks are playing, the album art changes to the album art of the artist. Nice. And if you hit the boost button. 95% of the boost goes to the band and then 5% goes to the show and the show splits. And uh, I've been listening to the Boostagram ball, uh, the fairly fun show and before the schemes and behind the schemes, which are also really great. And then our buddy Kyron over at mere mortals has a value for value podcast that explains all of this. If you are an artist 
and you have some tracks that you would like to publish, there are platforms that are coming out like Wavelake, W-A-V-L-A-K-E.com, where you upload your tracks, they build the RSS feed for you and then set up all the lightning stuff and then you put your tracks up there, people boost when they listen. And if you're boosting our shows, you now have another way you can support independent creators using those same sats and using those same tools because these also show up as tracks that are available to podcasting 2.0 apps and you can boost from the web using Albi. And there is some tooling that I'll link to in the show notes that you can use to host it all yourself. It's so awesome because the entire thing is just RSS feeds, open standards, and you just need a place for the MP3 file and a place for the RSS. And then you can completely self-host your music and participate in this value for value ecosystem, get boosts for your songs. And it's thrilling for me as a creator because music has been something that is completely cut off to podcasters. Ah, no kidding. Radio stations buy these global licenses that are lots of money every single year and they can play songs they want. They don't actually pay the artists. They pay this licensor. That's not even available to podcasters. So often podcast music sucks. Right. Or like we also compete with all these proprietary platforms that do the same thing, right? Oh yeah. If you, you know, you only publish here, then sure you can use our catalog we paid for. This is an open source system that you can self-host and then it lets podcasters play music in their songs and it supports the artists. And it is a genre that is blowing up. When I first started telling these guys about it, there was one podcast doing this. Now there are one, two, three, four, and a fifth that I didn't link to in here that I know of and probably more that are happening. And I'll, if you want to get in, if you want to get in on this, take a look at how it works, go to musicsideproject.com. It's some tooling that a band can use to just create all this stuff for them. They don't have to know how to write the XML and then they can put it up on an endpoint and publish it. I like that. I like two aspects of this. Um, First, it feels like a lot more of a sort of like open collaborative culture sort of idea from the start. That's less super concerned about these like restrictive scheme to tightly control stuff. And it's more like, well, we're putting this out there. And then the other aspect is that we're building in the like, make it easy to, you know, provide value back from the get-go. Yeah. You know, like I often go try to buy, you know, flax from bands I like that support that and I can go give them some money. But I find myself, if I want to support them more, I have to like buy it again or like, right. Some of them have donations, but it's often like, okay, I guess I'll buy your record even if I don't have a record player or, but having this just like ready to get-go right there, easy to boost, easy to support. Seems like a good idea. Uh, Ansley Costello is the, number one and number two and now number three on wavelake.com. And uh, she's made something like nearly three grand now on the platform. She was on Spotify and all the other services for something like six years and made a total of like 300 bucks from all of them combined for six years for having her music on there. She put it up here three weeks ago and now she's got the top one, two and three song. And she's, she's just doing great. Her number one song alone has made 1.1 million sats. And it all plugs into the existing tooling that people already have for podcasting. So if you can boost this show, you can boost these artists. This is how it works. I thought, I honestly thought maybe you'd jump from podcasting to software development because the situation is so dire, but there's just, there's too much culture there, right? There's too much historical momentum, but artists, music artists, they don't have a lot of options. Like the the mainstream system doesn't support them. It's not designed for them. Some of these people have created these tracks years and years ago. And now they have a place to put them and monetize them and create more music and build an audience. And I'd love to see it spread to software. But now in retrospect, in hindsight, it's so obvious why it spread to music first. 
but it's a whole the whole thing. It's open spec, RSS feeds, podcast players, HTTP endpoints, and then the Lightning Network. And it all comes together, and it's really, really awesome because as a podcaster, I've just sort of stumbled into watching this new genre from the very beginning. You know, it's like incredible to see it blossom. And when podcasting's kind of in a fade right now and advertising's completely crashed and I think we're going to lose more shows over the next year, just not us, but people, what a change of pace. What a silver lining, a ray of sunshine to see this, uh, to see this booming. So we'll have links in the show notes. If you wanted to kick back and listen to a music podcast, it's, there's a lot of different ones for just about every possible kind of taste and preference. Yeah, I will say if you're interested in checking out that topic a little bit more, we did dive into this quite a bit of depth in the latest Office Hours, number 34, officehours.hair slash 34 for that. Yes. In fact, we test it live. We give a live demonstration of the uh, switching to a song and then switching back. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. Ross came in with a hundred thousand sats using Podverse, and he is our baller this week. Greetings from Devon, UK, I think. Devon, home of the best pasties and clotted cream in the UK. All right, what is clotted cream? I think you shave your face with it. (laughs) No, I think that's something else there. Uh, Uh, And actually, those are pasties, and they're delicious hand pies. Not pasties? No, no. No, these are like with tassels. These are meaty hand pies. <laughs> yes, those are actually. I feel like a life hack that we should adopt over here because you take one of these things, you put it in your pocket, and you got yourself lunch ready to go. A uh, clotted cream is a thick cream made by heating full cream cow's milk using steam or a water bath, and then leaving it in a shallow pan to cool slowly. So there you go. Can we come up with a better name? Sounds like they discovered that by mistake. Exactly. Leaving it in a pan, calling it clotted. It sounds like, oh, well, let's make lemon out of, let's make lemonade out of these lemons. I mean, we have sour cream, right? That's the same idea. <laughs> right. right. I, don't, I don't know, guys. I don't know. But I'd, I'd be willing to try it. Cyber Gray came in with uh, 46,912 sats. I hoard that which your kind covet. Hey there, Jupiter family. Adding another vote for the Framework laptop. Batch 6 user from the original shipment of Framework 13, and this baby has been my daily driver through several different distros and continues to be solid as a rock. All right. I mean, I am really tempted. I don't have the funds for it, but I do think it'd be a great, great purchase. I might have done this this week, actually. <gasps> what? <laughs> well, as you know, uh, I've been having issues with the hinges on my Dev 1, which is very sad. I really like this laptop. So this week I took it all apart to try to repair it. Uh, if you remember, uh, recently we had a clip where I was at Seabase with a few fellow listeners trying to repair my laptop and I kind of gave up. It was dark and we were on picnic tables outside. It was not the place for it. I figured, you know, in my home with lighting and duels and such was the better place. So I tried that this week and, um, failed pretty miserably. Actually, I got to the point where I could see just how terrible the condition of the hinges were, but I could not without, you know, damaging things further, get to the place where I could repair them. You know, with my old think pads, I've repaired countless hinges, but I just, yeah, never got far enough. And unfortunately the internet told me that, uh, you know, the repair manuals for the HP standard HP laptops was going to work for the dev one, but the screen's totally different. So I just kind of had to say, no, I can't go further. I can't do this myself. So given the travels that I have coming up, I, uh, 
seeked a new laptop solution. And over and over, people suggested that I get a framework. And so I have one shipping to the Europe. To listener Tomash, we'll see if he doesn't like run off with it before I get so there. So you're going to try to do a lap. You're not going to, you're not going to swap laptops while traveling. I know you, you've been here at the studio with two laptops. You're like, yeah, I don't want to move because I'm in the middle doing a lot of stuff. Do we want to bet like what episode number he'll be fully switched over? <laughs> okay. So it's, this is 526, yeah. 538. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm going 530. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I'm joking when I say 538. I think. I'll go one under, 529, okay. just do the prices right move. <laughs> but that's only because we've now motivated him. You have such little you know? faith in me. Jeez. No, it's just you're going to be traveling. Who wants to move and switch their main machine it's true. While, they're, while they're traveling? Yeah, I'm just so country? fearful that this, you know, the monitor on this one is just going to flop off of the chassis at some point. So I, you know, at least there's insurance there, maybe. I don't know. Did I make the right decision? <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing your thoughts on it. And also, because, you, you know, you got a critical eye, but also to hear the comparing and the contrasting with the Dev One. Oh. Complete noobs boosted in with 33,333 sets. Simply saying, computer science will and should be open and free, libre free. Word. Yeah. 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 Amen, brother. Yeah. Yeah, Linux is a big part of that. Free software is a big part of that. I, I, I want to get my kids playing around with the ESP home devices one day. User 66 came in with 27,567 sats using Fountain. He says, ah, nope, you guys, not from Germany. Further north to the land of Saab. Now swing it again, Wes. Postal code for the win. Oh, and NixOS? Well, I'm slowly getting around to figuring out all the ways to do things. This might be boost number six for all of JB. Well, thank you very much, User66. And I think uh, we we thought last week, it sounds like we thought he was in Germany last week, but Wes, did you bring the correct map? This Yeah, yeah, I know. I get a little confused with Europe sometimes. Trying again, and um, it looks like maybe the digits got mixed around. Uh, I think from last week it was uh, 25,767, uh, and that appears to be a postal code from Helsingborg, a city in Sweden. So let's uh, let us know how we did. Hopefully I got it this time. Yeah, find out. And thank you for the support. Appreciate it. Torped boosts in with 21,984 sats from Podverse. My whole week went by and I was thinking, I called Brent Brad, didn't I? Sorry, Brent. Oh, you know, it happens and I don't take it personally. So all good. Sometimes uh, for some reason, like I'll type something wrong and it corrects it to Brett. So I've called Brent Brett a few times. Well, autocorrect has, and I just, I just chuckle and let it, let it go. It's slightly closer, or feels closer. I'm not sure. Torped also sent in a story. Uh, now for a story, since I feel I owe you and the audience some entertainment. Uh, quit Windows cold turkey and mm. went to Linux some years ago. I went with Debian, thinking that I'll probably bork my system at some point beyond repair. Three years later, and I'm still on that first ever Linux install with 32 gigs of swap. What? And the installer said to use the same amount as your system memory. And P.S. This is a Back to the Future boost. Wow, that is that is really like to have your first install last like that. That's a rare thing. I mean, my my congratulations to you, sir. Nick Zip comes in with twenty thousand sats using Castomatic, and he just says. We'll boost right back, back at you. Back at you, yeah. 
Faraday Fedora boosts in with Aroa Ducks. For anyone on the fence about boosts, it's literally open source money. It may seem daunting to get started, but it's actually much easier than opening a bank account or applying for a credit card <laughs> if you were starting from square one. <laughs> I'm willing to give some support for Canadians looking to get some sats to boost. Just DM me on Matrix. I'm sure others out there are willing to help their respective countrymen as well. Thanks, Faraday. Appreciate that. Yeah, what a nice offer. I agree with that message, too. The Mender Cop boosted in 15,000 sats with Breeze. Nice intro to Fedora Asahi Remix and great defense of Bitcoin. It'd be cool if you could go a bit into gaming on Asahi someday. Yeah, I hope so. Future assignment. You got to remember, though, it is ARM, right? So you're either looking for ARM compiled games or you're going to be doing yet another layer of emulation, potentially. So many right? layers. X86 and the Proton stuff. So, I mean, you know, if they build powerful enough machines, we can do it. Maybe. it's. I wouldn't have thought so, but it seems to be happening. A row of ducks from Men on RB comes in using Fountain. Here's my remaining sats from Fountain. Thank you, Manon. I appreciate that. Of course, you can always move those to a new app, but uh, we're happy to take them off your hands. Oppie1984 boosts in with 4,000 sats. Uh, and this seems to be a reply to a previous booster asking about, you know, what, uh, how to get some something on their desk or desktop that could receive a call, do screen sharing, but like an agent on there. Yes. Um, and... Uh, Hoppy writes, I don't know if this will work, but a while ago I watched a YouTube video where uh, a guy showed how to build a private VoIP network with off-the-shelf parts. Here's a link to that video. So we'll put that in the show notes, and uh, yeah, hopefully that helps. It looks like I know nothing, but I see a device that seems to be maybe bringing IP in and then sending it out over POTS lines to like any old POTS phone. That I love that. I, I miss having desk phones. You know, as a kid... I, I I was alive at the very end of the spinning dial era. So, like, my family all had the, you know, we spun the dial around for the number. Um, and then we kind of, you know, quickly adopted the new phone technologies. The phone companies would send you a new phone. Uh, so I have a lot of nostalgia for that old stuff, Oppie. Thank you for that. We got a row of ducks in from CG Barrows. I was thinking that when you guys say that you're actually using one of your sponsor's products in a day-to-day -day life, it gives me more confidence that it's actually a good product and not you just reading some script they ask you to read. Like Chris saying that Tailscale changes self-hosting life. I guess I grew a thick skin over those stupid lying advertisements on TV and now on the internet. This is my kind of second or third concern with dynamic ads is that they're not products that we personally use necessarily. We may not even be aware in some cases of what ads are being inserted. I, I wonder if there will be, or if anybody knows of a, a dynamic ad program or platform, I guess I should say that is self-hosted that ideally is open source where you could use your own CDN and you could just cut your own ads in. That'd be nice. Yeah. And then it would be our own ads and that wouldn't seem like such a bad system. And maybe then it, we could actually do a good job with the chapters. Cause that's another thing that gets screwed up by dynamic ads is the chapters. Yeah, I wonder if that's something like Castapod or similar, whatever support. Maybe, maybe. Um, but yeah, otherwise I, I, I really have a concern because I think a lot of the value in those ads for the listener and for the advertiser is that we really do use Linode. We really do use Tailscale and we can go in there and tell you about it. Like it's, it's a hard thing when you don't use those products to 
to, or you're not even aware of what products are being advertised because it's like it's not the same kind of endorsement. It's a, it's a cheaper, lesser thing. And I don't know, but I do know the podcasting industry, as it was, or whatever you want to call it, is sliding into dynamic ads as if it were being sucked into a black hole. It's just, it's happening so damn fast. Dan Johansson came in with, came in with 10,000 sats. Thank you, Dan. Using the podcast index, I cleared my desk today. I removed the wires from the keyboard, the mouse, the headphones, the USB hub, my spare Ethernet, HDMI cables, and lots more since I started moving some stuff over to Bluetooth on my desktop. It really is a great feeling. Got to keep it nice and tidy. Good for you, Dan. I agree I should do it more often, but it's such a nice feeling when you finally do clear out an area and make it all tidy. Yeah, having a nice desk before you can get to work. It's the workspace, especially. Mm -hmm. Keeping that tidy is nice. And my ADD brain has such a hard time with that. It's, yeah. Um, Now, that was our our, uh, last boost before the cutoff. We have some below the cutoff. Was there any that you wanted to pull ahead this week? I think we received one with a emoji story that I think you should tell, Chris. Right, right. Okay, thank you. Smart or uh, smart talk or small, whatever you want to call it. He came in with a puzzle, and I don't know how we're going to crack this thing. It's Snowflake plus Penguin. So that sounds like Nick's OS plus emoji honey badger X hand sign poop. <laughs> so again, Snowflake, Penguin plus honey badger X hand poop i think he's saying nixos plus maybe home manager i was thinking ssh maybe yeah oh i was thinking maybe they're saying like honey badger doesn't care about nixos like they're like enough with the nixos already that might be it yeah because that could be like no more hand poop Uh uh-huh yeah i like that let us know i i mean it's fun we so we get the boost live, right? So how, would I send that guy? Did I send that to you uh, on the on the first? I sent that to you guys like, okay, guys, let's crack this code. <laughs> we still didn't crack it. We had days to prepare. We still didn't crack it. Uh, thank you, everybody who boosted. We had 15 total boosters, 15 boosts, and uh, we made 287,527,000 sats, just below the 300 sat goal I was trying to get to, really. Thank you, everybody who does support the show. We need just a few more, if you think about it. 60,000 people might listen to this episode, but we had 15 people step forward and support us. We just need a few more and we can begin to really move that needle. So thank you everybody who does. It's a great way to give us feedback and interact with the show. You can get a new podcast app at podcastapps.com, Fountain or Podverse. Podverse is GPL, so we really like that. Uh, or you can just uh, get Albie, getalbi.com, then you boost in from the podcast index. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes to make it real easy for you. Now, before we go, I want to remind you that the show is live on Sundays and the mumble room's going. We got it. Look at that showing in the quiet listening. Wow. There's a whole raft of people in the quiet. And that's a great way to get just a super low latency Opus feed direct from the studio mixer. Powered by open source. Yeah, man. It's like you're right here next to us in the studio or almost. It's about as good as it gets. You may actually have, depending on the day, a faster connection to us than Brent does. So. Hey, hey, <laughs> I'm going to space here. And then you're just one room away from popping down and uh, telling us what you think about something. So that mumble room, that's our virtual lug. We have details at jupiterbroadcasting.com. There's a mumble link there. You can get you all the information. You can always participate on Sundays. Or if you're just out and about, you can tune in radio style at jblive.fm. We have a radio stream going all the time that plays old JB shows. And then when we cut in when we're live, and it's pretty nice and easy, just load it up on your mobile device in the web browser. You don't even have to install an app. Just go to jblive.fm and start streaming on Sundays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. 
But don't worry, we'll still keep publishing it. We always do at that RSS feed. In fact, tell you what, a little secret. That's how most people catch it. So it's always there. The same bad time on the same bad channel. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. Mm-hmm. There's a whole raft of shows over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Coda Radio got into some spicy stories this week. Of course, self-hosted is always pushing the envelope. We got a new one coming up soon. And Office Hours is testing brand new grounds. The most recent Office Hours is a barn burner. All that's over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. We just really are grateful for you listening. We appreciate your time. And we also really appreciate it when you take a moment to share the podcast. Word of mouth is really the best way for a podcast to get discovered. In the meantime, we hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday.